Hello, all my fringy friends out there. Welcome back to That's So Fringy podcast. I'm Rick. I'm Kristen. And we are here tonight to continue in our series on bum, 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 false flags. We, uh, we're missing one of our hosts, Bethany. She's out uh, just doing baby stuff, you know, build, building the baby currently. <laughs> and uh, so she's got a lot going on, trying to breathe every once in a while, trying mm-hmm. to be able to move around. For those of you that have been through what she's been through, you know what we're talking about. But today, yeah, we wanted to go over the Route 91, which was the festival that they were having in Vegas with Jason Aldean in 2017 when um, chaos erupted. Most of us remember this. It was October 1st of 2017, and then they try to call it the the one October event right in the news and everything like that but we like to refer to it as the route 91 Jason Aldean concert because we like to make sure people are realizing what we're talking about right it's it's a way of kind of shifting your mind away from something because you're like I don't really know what it is that they're talking about but so you know we're talking about the shooting in Vegas So Kristen's done a lot of research. We've both looked into this, watched a couple of documentaries. We're trying to bring you as much factual evidence as possible. And we're going to do like we did with the last one um, on 9-11. And we're going to go through the official narrative. And then we're going to walk our way through some of the discrepancies and some of the things that don't make sense. So with that, Kristen. Here we go. Here we go. What did we figure out? Okay, so so again, we're going to go over the kind of the the story that got put out for everybody. The official narrative is what we're going to start with. Um, so on October 1st, 2017, uh, there was a mass shooting when 64-year-old Stephen Paddock opened fire on the crowd attending the Route 91 Harvest Music Festival on the Las Vegas Strip. Um, so he was on the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay Hotel. So I don't know if you, if people have been to Vegas or if you haven't been to Vegas, this is kind of like a concert venue that is down over, it's underneath the Mandalay Bay. So from the, from those upper windows, you can see this whole area. Um, according to the narrative, he fired more than a thousand rounds. He killed 60 people and wounded at least 413. Um, then of course there was trampling and people trying to get out and kind of secondary wounding. Cause it was just, it was just chaos all around there. Um, so that brought the injured to more like 867. Now these numbers for whatever reason, they, they, they change. So there's not like a firm number of how many people were wounded, how many people died, all of that stuff. But these, this is the closest we can get for the official part. Uh, let's see. So about an hour later, after the shooting started, he was found dead in his room from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Uh, the, so the motive for this was, is still officially undetermined. They had, what they have yeah. listed as. No idea. So undetermined. So this is, uh, a little bit of, I, Rick knows tons about firearms, but I'm just going to go through really quickly and then maybe you can comment on some of them. So supposedly he had 24 firearms. He had 14 that were a 
223 caliber AR-15, and then he had eight, which was a 308 caliber AR-10, and then he had a 308 caliber bolt action rifle and a 38 caliber revolver. So yeah, so these are assault rifles, right? They're they're used in in military purposes for the most part. They also found lots of hundred round clips, uh, sixty round mm -hmm. clips. We know that there is a company out there that makes these, and um, they're hard to get in certain areas uh, of the country, and not so hard to get in other areas of the country. Just depends on where you live mm -hmm. and what your firearms rules and uh, regulations are. But he he basically had so many firearms um up there and so many rounds that he he could have been firing for for days mm -hmm. so this is technically still the deadliest mass shooting by a single gunman in american history mm. um it really focused a lot of attention on like you were saying the firearm laws and more specifically in regards to bump stocks so do you mind just explaining a little bit of how the, because the, I, I, I remember the Vegas shooting and bump stocks. That's pretty mm -hmm. much what I remember from, from this shooting. Do you mind explaining a little bit how those work? Yeah, the official narrative talked a lot about bumps, bump stocks. And, and it's because when they got up there, they, and, and this is not to get ahead of ourselves, but when they got up there, the, the bump stocks that they were finding on these weapons um, was a was a way for them to talk about how it sounded like machine gun fire mm -hmm. because with the particular weapons that he was uh, in possession of, they only have typically a three round burst. So you can put it into fire, you can put it into safe, or you can put it into three round burst. Now they can be modified, but they can't be sold in America on fully auto. So unless, you know, it's a special dealer and a special thing, or if it's an illegal arms trade, which right as we know, a lot of firearm sales are not exactly above board. Right. So the difference between a semi-automatic and an automatic is that an automatic, you just pull the trigger and they go boom, 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 and they don't stop until you're done right. with your ammunition. And these weapons semi-automatic, yes. Okay. And so semi-automatic, you can do one, you know, you pull the trigger, the, the cycling of the action, everything happens, the bolt goes back, comes back, mm -hmm. ejects uh, the casing loads a new round just like a pistol does it so for every bullet that comes out of a semi-automatic you pulled the trigger independently correct. every and time and so on a yeah okay. so on a bump stock it basically uses that recoil to then hit this stock and bump into your shoulder and then just basically ratchets the trigger on your arm as almost so it as like if, uses your own momentum it, it goes back and hits your body and which slingshots it forward which pushes your finger into the trigger and it's just Correct. like back and forth, back and forth. Correct. So it basically turns a, a firearm into an automatic weapon if you know what you're doing, if you know how to use it, if you're good mm -hmm. at it, if you've practiced with it. But it's not going to give you the same um, automatic machine gun fire that you would get from an M60 or, mm -hmm. or a 249 Golf or some kind of a machine gun belt-fed weapon. You're just not because the the reason that those weapons are belt fed is because you you have to have such a i mean it has to be perfectly loaded mm -hmm. every single round or else you're going to get a malfunction after malfunction after malfunction and the reason that most 
serious gun owners don't really like bucks um bump stocks is because they don't work that well they're they don't. and they're very unreliable i mean your yeah. shoulder has to be in the exact right position your weapon has to be in the exact right position and your finger has to be in the exact right position in order for it to really work i mean there's people that i was watching some videos on how they work because i was curious and there was people that they're like big gun enthusiasts and they were like these are garbage i mean they just don't yeah. They're not effective. You're actually faster. Just it would be faster to just use your finger and do it that way. Yeah. So yeah, when you hear that, you know, the main narratives talking about bump stocks and how it was a big deal and how that's how he was able to shoot these semi-automatic, semi-automatic weapons so quickly was because he was using bump stocks. But I think that's bunk. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially this whole thing about bump stocks came up. So in the U S justice department in December of 2018, um, let's see the constitutionality of the, Oh, so there was a ban put on the bump stocks essentially mm -hmm. is yeah, what yeah. ended up happening. Um, so then it came out that the constitutionality of banning you know, something that is an inanimate object, essentially. Mm. Um, so it's been under review until 2022 when the U.S. Supreme Court declined to hear the case. So essentially, it's still a law because the people that said, this isn't right, like you shouldn't ban these for everybody. They they left it basically un unheard this whole time. And then the Supreme Court just declined to to have it. Yeah. So there it is. Yeah, bump stocks. I wouldn't recommend them. They're garbage, yeah. but you can still buy them if you want to, because they're not against the law. Yep. So the Mandalay Bay, which is the building that Stephen Paddock was in, is 43 stories, and it overlooks this Las Vegas village, which is a 15-acre lot. It's used for outdoor performances, kind of like a concert venue. Um, they, you know, they. It's 15 acres, so that's a lot bigger than I than I thought it would be. Yeah, it's pretty big. It's right across the street from the Luxor. Yeah. So then starting in 2014, the venue was used for this Route 91 Harvest Festival, which is a country music festival is basically what it is. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. This year that the shooting happened in 2017, the event ran from September 29th to October 1st, and there was over 22,000 attendees on just the final day. So there was a lot of people there. A lot of people crammed into a little space, right? which will come into play later when you will talk a little bit about the, you know, they have to put up security fences because it's a, you know, it's a, it's a closed concert. You have to pay basically to get in. So they don't want people just sure. walking in. So there was a lot of security fencing that was oddly placed maybe mm -hmm. to, to kind of hold people in. Um, but we'll go over a little bit of that later and then discrepancies. So yeah, let's talk a, a little bit about uh, Stephen Paddock because he's got a very, well, let's just say upfront. Mm -hmm. I don't think that he did this. I don't yeah. think that this all happened the way that, that the official narrative says. And I don't think that the evidence points that way either. So we'll let you guys decide when we get done with it. But we do want to go over kind of the official narrative of what they released about Stephen Paddock. So he's 64 years old. He was a IRS auditor, which is interesting. He also bought 
so he ended up buying a, a ton of real estate in California. I don't know if he was flipping houses and making money or if he was just buying and selling real estate and making money, but he did have like a, he had like a, a apartment complexes where he would make, you know, you make a lot of money when you own those. Okay. So in California. Yeah, exactly. He was living in a retirement community in Mesquite, Nevada. He was twice divorced. He had a long-term girlfriend who also comes into play in a little bit. He has no known children. He's the son of Benjamin Paddock, who was... This is interesting because I have a lot more on him later on. But Benjamin Paddock was his father. He was a bank robber. He was on the FBI Most Wanted list from 1969 to 1977, which I believe is the longest anybody's been on the... Consecutively been on the FBI Most Wanted list. That's a long time. That is a long time. But I have more about what, you know, how all that happened later on. Um, His only... So Stephen Paddock's only interactions with law enforcement before this day was essentially traffic citations that was Mm. it he never had any run-ins with the law he never had any issues with you know domestic violence none of that stuff he didn't have any slate yeah he didn't have any you know supposed anger issues or whatever things things that you look at he was a high stakes gambler who so essentially he he placed bets high enough that he would go around to these different hotels and get his rooms comped for him so if you go like he he went down to the casino, lost a million dollars playing video poker and ended up getting these rooms at the Mandalay Bay comp to him, which just basically means we're going to give you a free room because you spent a ton of money in our casino. And the and the rooms are that that's not how they make their money anyway. That's why you can right. get a hotel room at well, I mean we went to Vegas not that long ago and we our hotel room was like super cheap. Like Thirty dollars a night for a really big, nice. Yeah, and they want you to. They want you to be out spending money in the casinos and and buying this and buying that and you know just yeah just the rooms is not where they make their money right. So anyway, he so he was a and I don't I'm not a I'm not let's be honest I'm not good at gambling I'm actually Mm -hmm. permanently grounded from gambling because I'm so terrible at it. You're not good. So. I know I can literally go in and make hundreds of dollars and I sit down at the machine and it's gone in like a minute. So anyway, Rick does the gambling if we need to do any gambling. Yeah. So how does one become, I've heard of people, you know, becoming professional poker players, you know, where you're sitting Mm -hmm. down with other people and, you know, high stakes poker players can make a lot of money. Right. Sure. But video poker, I've never played it. Because I'm, I I really have terrible luck, so I just don't. I've never played it, but yeah. I'm assuming that they're not going to make a machine. Knowing what I know about slot machines and all the other stuff, they're not going to make a machine that loses them money. So not, how does not enough money that's going to you know hurt them? They got to right. have a certain I probably mean, bottom overall, line. Overall, exactly. Overall, they're they're going to make money on these machines. That's what they're mm-hmm. designed to do. But he was supposedly making like millions of dollars playing video poker. <laughs> I hadn't actually heard of anybody being a professional video poker player. Professional poker player, sure. Mm-hmm. And I've watched the celebrity poker games and interesting, right? But I, a video I think poker... there's a lot of people that play online, which might be what they're talking about, where you play 
you know, you play online games like, you know, some people play Call of Duty, you play all these different mm. games online with different people. I mean, you could even play Farkle with people online, Sudoku or whatever, Farkle? you know. Yeah, you heard did me. Did I catch a Farkle in there? You did. And so <laughs> when you have, you know, those all those type of options and type of games, you also have this video poker where you play online with people, but you're actually placing bets and you can mm -hmm. you can do that online. So. He might well, have that, been. That makes sense because according to casino hosts and people that work down in the in the casinos, he was familiar to them, mm. but he wasn't familiar to any of the high stakes poker players. So he wasn't he wasn't playing with other humans. He was playing on a screen. Right. Yeah. He was playing as a probably as an avatar online. Mm -hmm. You know, a certain screen name or whatever, mm -hmm. which you know, gives him autonomy and gives right. him the ability to move cash here and there uh -huh. um, in nefarious ways if he wants to, depending on who's looking or who's doing what. Or who's not. Yeah. Yeah. So that he, according to the, the people that, that knew him at the casino, he kept to himself. He was quiet. He was a heavy drinker. Um, so he, I don't know. He just, he doesn't really like, not that I'm a, profiler but he doesn't really fit the profile of somebody that would that would do this but we'll, yeah we'll get well, further in well in a lot of his social media and stuff like that from what i've read is talking about him being um a trump supporter hater mm -hmm. so he hates those people that follow trump he hates the you know the far right um and just goes against that whole narrative and so that was kind of I don't know if that was how he actually felt or if that was just part of his persona. Um, who knows? Because if this was orchestrated or a fake situation as we're claiming it to be, then that would be a convenient truth, right? Mm -hmm. As, as Al Gore would say, that would be a convenient truth if, if they were able to pin him to, you know, being a far right hater, therefore a country music concert where there's probably mm -hmm. a lot of Trump supporters, a lot of people that would be on that side that he would dislike that that would be very convenient if that was the case. But who knows mm -hmm. if that's how he actually felt or if he was just right. a patsy altogether. Right. That's, I mean, that's what I think. Yeah. It's kind of sad, but so he had lost a sig significant amount of his wealth in the couple of years before the shooting. So, but he had actually paid off all of his gambling debts. All of that stuff was, was paid off before the shooting happened in the year prior to the shooting his girlfriend had reported she said you know he had some changes in his behavior he was maybe a little bit more isolated his demeanor changed a little bit and she made a comment that they were no longer intimate with each other so they were boyfriend and girlfriend but as we get further into this you'll have to tell me if you think it's more of a like a business relationship kind of a thing sure um like a mutually beneficial arrangement mm -hmm. Uh, so they obviously, after this all happened, they went through all of his computer. They went through all of his stuff. There was a hard drive missing somehow from mm -hmm. his hotel room. So it's just, there's so much weird stuff that happened in his hotel room, but his hard drive to his computer was missing. 
but they did go over the stuff that was at his house and he had, according to them, he had researched other large venues in the months prior to the shooting. So he had gone on and looked um, at other large venues. And one of them was the Lollapalooza festival, which is in Chicago. It was in August of 2017. So this happened in October. This was in August. Um, but, and he actually booked a room that overlooked this, this uh, event, but he didn't end up using the room. So he didn't actually end up going and staying there for whatever reason. Um, his internet searches included SWAT weapons, ballistics chart 308, SWAT Las Vegas, do police use explosives? So he had some stuff in his search history that was probably a little weird, but I'll be honest, if people look at my search history, they would probably <laughs> think it was a little weird because I'm always, I'm just a curious person and I'm always yeah, looking yeah. at cats. who knows what. Yeah. A lot of pictures of cats, a lot of videos yeah. of cats. I do like cats. It happens. I'm like a crazy cat lady. I know. Um, so he gets to the Mandalay Bay and checked in on September 25th. So he was there, what was that, six days before mm-hmm. he'd been there. So it's not like he just checked in that night and this all happened. Um, so he booked into room 32135, which was the room that was comped to him because he had, you know, lost so much money in video poker, um, which is on the 32nd floor. So the rooms 32-135, I'm not going to keep saying that. I'm just going to say room 135 and 134. Those are the two rooms that he ended up with. So four days later, he checked into the adjoining room, which was um, 134. And it you know, was kind of one of those rooms that's connected in between. So he had a suite that was like a big... I don't know if it was a corner suite, but it was definitely a big suite that he had. And then this room next to it, which was uh, just a, just a standard room, it looked like. Because they usually, you know, put the suites, if you've been, spent much time in hotels, they put the suites kind of on the four corners. And then they have just regular rooms in between. So that's kind of how the layout was. Um, and that room, he actually checked into, I believe, that room was comp to his girlfriend. Okay. Which is interesting because she wasn't there. So. Funny story about the girlfriend. He had actually sent her, she's from the Philippines. So he had actually sent her back to the Philippines to visit her family um, that prior to any of this happening. And he had wired her, there was, there, he wired her $100,000 in two separate transactions that were $50,000 each. Hmm. So he sends her to the Philippines and then sends her $100,000 before this all happened. But somehow she gets comped room 134 at the hotel and she's not even there and she's not there okay both of these suites and the rooms looked overlooked this um las vegas village area so you could see it from both of them they were they were on the same side he was so in the in the days prior to the shooting he spent time gambling drinking usually at night he seemed like he was a lot more of a night owl and and you know probably slept a lot more during the day which is pretty common for people in the Vegas scene. That's kind of, I don't think that's unusual anyway, I should say. He had, you know, a lot of interactions with the hotel employees. They were all, quote, normal in nature. So there was nothing crazy about his behavior. He wasn't acting weird. Cell phone data showed that he made multiple trips back to his house in Mesquite. I don't know how far that is, but he he made several, several trips from Vegas to his house in Mesquite and, and came back during on that September. Time frame. 
Right. During that time from when he checked in. Um, On September 25th, he had a bellman help him bring five suitcases to his room. Nothing seemed weird there. He wasn't acting weird. And they didn't look like regular suitcases to me. No, they were they were large. I mean, the the bellhop had to get a cart to go get them. Yeah. And I, I believe I read somewhere that they used a service elevator to get them up. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if that was just because of the size of, I don't know why, why yeah, that would you, happen. If you guys want to look back at the pictures and try to see, you know, the, cause it's, you may or may not be able to find it. I'll try to find it on the internet as well, but mm-hmm. the, some of this stuff is hard to find, but what, look at the image of the bellhop on the security camera, bringing up those cases and they're quite large cases. They look mm-hmm. like they would be more like equipment than you know, a, a large amount of clothes. Right. Yeah. That's know. what it looked like to me. Yeah. So then, so that was on September 25th. So on September 26th, the next day he brought it seven more suitcases in. And mm-hmm. I mean, when I say suitcases, we're talking cases like mm-hmm. bag, duffel bag, suitcases, whatever, all kinds of right. things. And then on the 28th, he brought in two more bags. Okay. So it's not like he brought in all 24 of these weapons at one time, it sounds like. It sounds like he was kind of going home and maybe getting more and then bringing them back. I don't know. So then on the 30th, on September 30th, he brought six more bags in. And then on in October 1st, which was the day of the shooting, he brought two more bags in. You know, and my question is, in the hospitality industry, like, at what point does this start to get weird? You know, right? Is it seventeen bags? Is it is it twenty four bags? Like, how many bags does the you know this one guy have to bring into this room? How how long is he staying there? Right, because even even then, it, it didn't flag anything. Mm-hmm. He, they didn't. They wouldn't. Had this event not happened, they probably wouldn't have even. We wouldn't even be talking about how many bags this guy brought in and what day. So right. it didn't, it wasn't like it flagged anything. He wasn't acting suspiciously. He wasn't, you know, being weird. He was just bringing bags in. And then on September 30th, he placed the do not disturb sign on his door for both rooms. So before that, it sounds like housekeeping was coming in. You know, he, he was getting lots of room service deliveries. I mean, all that stuff was happening like normal like a person that i feel like was setting up to do something of this magnitude they wouldn't be wanting anybody in their room the entire time like it would it would be locked down they would be like eating out of a vending machine or you know what i mean like they're not getting room service delivered they don't i don't know it just doesn't seem right well and if you're trying to be i mean i guess if your end goal is to shoot yourself and and not try to get away or anything like that, then then maybe you would be a little careless. You know, you would be like, mm-hmm. whatever it is, what it is, I'm gonna I'm gonna like die it's my tomorrow last anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you never know. I mean, I just think, how many times does this type of thing happen in these big hotels in Vegas mm-hmm. to where the workers don't even think anything of it? Well, there's a lot of people that will go, I don't, I I mean, I, not that I know a ton about the inner workings of Vegas, but I was reading up on a lot of people will go to Vegas, they will rent these big suites and they'll, whatever product they're trying to sell, you know, they're, maybe they're a startup company, you know, maybe they're a firearm salesman, you know, they'll rent these big suites and they'll use that as a kind of a middle ground to lay all their stuff out and say, come and look 
see what I have. You know, they'll have these kind of high priority clients come in that way, you know, for some, especially for some of the more nefarious stuff, because you don't, you know, Stephen Paddock's not going to be like, hey, do you want to come to my garage and look at all my firearms? If he's, if he's, you know, illegally dealing firearms with people that he's not going to do that, you know, and, and, and he's not the only one. Apparently this happens quite often. People go yeah. there and they use Vegas as a kind of a mutual ground to, to sell whatever they're selling, whether it's people or whether it's weapons or whether it's drugs or whatever. That's how a lot of this stuff happens, which I didn't really even think about until I was researching this. But. Yeah. That's wild. It's wild yeah. what you can get away with in this world if you're connected to the right people, right? I mean, if you want to be nefarious and you want to do be a bad actor, mm-hmm. all you got to do is connect yourself to other higher level bad actors right. or even right. peer bad actors, and you can find the underbelly of any type of a of a town, of a city. Of a, I mean, I'm sure our town probably has a nasty underbelly that we oh, don't yeah. know about, you know? Well. Or we, some of us know. Or, or we know we're just not saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> just anyway. kidding. Ooh, no, but I'm thinking you. like when I'm looking at like a Facebook marketplace ad or whatever, I'm like, I'm looking at the background of people's houses. Like if I'm looking at a, a let's say a recliner, because I've been recently, <laughs> you know, looking at a lot of recliners You're since we're having the only a baby. One. Uh, so I'm, but I'm looking at like the carpet and I'm looking at the, how the house looks and if it's trashy, like I'm not, I'm not even going to the next phase. I don't know if that makes me just weird or I don't know, but that's how I, that's how I decide whether I even want to send a message of, is this still available? Yeah, it makes sense. And if you had, (laughs) and if they were in judging, I guess, in that, you know, posting, sometimes you you got a profile. But that's what I mean. If you're going to Vegas and you're renting a big suite, nobody knows what your actual real life is like, you know, because especially these kinds of people that make these kinds of transactions, they have a home life also, you know, they might be selling all this nefarious stuff, but they've got granny somewhere, you know, they've got their family that they're taking care of, like, I don't know. So this actually does make a lot of sense that people buy, you know, rent these hotel rooms for these big buys. I don't know. I agree. It's weird, but so he shot out of fifteen of the weapons. So he had twenty-four total, and then he shot out of fifteen of them, uh, supposedly, and he used one thousand fifty-eight rounds. Supposedly. This number changes throughout the narrative, guys. Mm-hmm. This number changes. Hold on to it tightly. Yeah, he also uh, supposedly killed himself with the revolver. There was that one revolver that he had. ATF reported that the firearms in his hotel, plus all the firearms that they found at his house, because they went, you know, and and obviously searched his house. Um, all of them were purchased legally. None of them were illegal. Uh, they were either purchased in Nevada, California, Texas, or Utah. Those are. I do have any insight into what those states mean or why why no. he would have weapons from four states? Like maybe their gun laws are a little bit lax, or I don't know. Yeah, or or it could be he's getting some of these guns off the internet and they're sending oh, yeah. them from where they are to to him. Like maybe he's Nevada. got a distributor that he works with or okay. Or or this he is. is a distributor, you know. I don't know if we looked into whether he has his gun selling license, but well, anyway. He doesn't. He doesn't hmm. have a gun selling license, but that doesn't mean he wasn't a distributor. 
<laughs> teaser. So they also found, you know, then obviously they looked at it at his car because his car is parked in the uh, garage under the hotel. Mm-hmm. He had ammonium nitrate in his car, which I guess okay. is commonly used to make IEDs. So he had a bunch of that in his trunk. He had 1,600 more rounds of ammunition in his car. I'm just wondering, like, how much of this stuff can you put in your car at one time? Because he had, like, a sedan. I mean, he didn't have, like, a great big car. So that maybe that would explain why he had to make multiple trips, because he had to get multiple weapons. He had to get all this ammunition there somehow. Ammonium nitrate. And then he also had 50 pounds of tannerite, which I haven't really worked much with, but that's what they use for, like, exploding targets, right? Yeah. I mean, I've seen top shots, so I know what tannerite is. But There you go. That's my girl. <laughs> Here's the thing with tannerite, though. I mean, there's no reason to have tannerite in that room or in his car if he wasn't going to be going to the range, right? Because you're not going to use tannerite unless he was going to use it there at the event. But why did he leave it in his car? And then, right, and 50 pounds of it. I mean, that's a lot. That's, yeah. That's not a, a little mean, amount. If I was to give a guess, I would say he was going to be using those weapons to go out somewhere and let people maybe try them on the range with some or Yeah. I mean, that to me is a more plausible explanation for him having tannerite in his car because right. what are you going to maybe he Or maybe he was selling them as a package. Like, here, if you come get these sure. weapons, I'll throw in 10 pounds of tannerite because, you know, nobody, it's super fun to shoot tannerite with a rifle. Like, mm-hmm. And it's a good way for people to know what if things are sighted in right and all of that stuff too. Like, yeah, I don't know. It seems yeah. that seems more plausible to me than he just randomly had fifty pounds of tannerite in the trunk of his car. I don't know. Yeah. So the attack. Let's go over this a little bit. And again, I know we talked about this in the nine eleven episodes. A false flag does not mean that this stuff didn't happen. It just mm-hmm. is a shifting of the blame of who who did this because we know that it happened. We know that people died. It was mm-hmm. it was awful. I mean, I've watched multiple documentaries and it, it just was awful. So we know that this might seem insensitive to some people that were just talking about it so matter of factly, but I think that getting down to the bottom of why this happened is actually honoring their memory. So that's that's why we dig into this stuff. Yep. So the actual attack occurred between 10.05 and 10.15 p.m. on the last night of the festival, so on October 1st. So this shooting only lasted 10 minutes, Yeah. which for the carnage seems like n- not a long time. If officially only lasted for that Officially, long. correct. So then country singer Jason Aldean was performing on stage. Actually, I, th- I think in one of the documentaries we watched, the bass player had like a, a bullet round that went through his guitar or mm-hmm. hit his guitar. Mm-hmm. So it was that which is weird because I've always wondered, was Jason Aldean a target? Like, why was he? He was out front and center. Like, you would have think that's, that he, he would be hit first or. Yeah. I don't know. It just seems weird that he wasn't. The stage did, yeah. you know, seem to be targeted a little bit, but I mean, it just seems so random how where all the shots went. Yeah. So, um, shortly before 10 p.m., this is again the official narrative, the mm-hmm. Wikipedia narrative. Um, Jesus Compost, who, which was a security guard at the Mandalay Bay, he was sent to the 32nd floor to investigate an open door alert. 
So when you're in Vegas, you leave a door open for too long. They'll send somebody up to make sure that everything's okay. Make sure you didn't just accidentally leave your room open with all your valuables inside, you know, because people are obviously inebriated, impaired when they go to Vegas a lot. So then this will come into play later, but they also, obviously everybody knows they can tell the key card swipes. They know how many times you went in and out of your room with your key card, all of that stuff. That's pretty easy. What I didn't know is that they also have a deadbolt sensor in the rooms. So they can tell when, when you enter your room with your key card, they can tell, but they can also tell whether you went into your room and engaged the deadbolt or not, which is, which I didn't realize. Um, and they also have heat sensors like uh, in the room, so they can tell who's in there, approximately in where there. you are. I mean, they have so they have a lot more, especially these these bigger hotels. If you're off the strip, you know I wouldn't worry about it too much. But most of these these hotels on the strip have all of this. Like you, they, if you've been to Vegas, they have more information on you than you probably ever thought. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. And if you think about it, these guys are just trying to extract money out of people. I mean, the mm -hmm. whole Vegas experience is for you to go there, have a good time, get inebriated, as you said, and possibly, you know, gush out all kinds of money so that their all economy can do And if do you're well. spending too much time in your room, they mm -hmm. might have some kind of incentive for you or they might make it to where when you do go to the casino, maybe you do win a little bit of money so that you're more apt to stay there and spend more money, you know, like they have, these are all marketing, marketing tools or whatever you want to call it for, mm -hmm. for people that I, I just, I guess I didn't realize how tech, techno it was like, they, <laughs> I'm like yeah, especially okay. at the, at the clubs, there's all kinds Ooh, of techno yeah. The raving but the, uh, I mean, if it, it makes sense to me, if you've got bad guys owning hotels, which you do, you have right. a lot of right. bad dudes. Vegas has a huge reputation for having the mafia there, the mob, everybody's right. trying to run that town, you know, and, and mm -hmm. whoever has the most money, whoever has the most control gets to run that town and make yep. all that money, you know? So these guys are the guys that are buying up these big hotels and then running them the way mm -hmm. that a bad guy would run mm -hmm. the company to try to extract more money out of you. So the fact that yep. they have all the surveillance on you, have all the surveillance on the tables, have all the surveillance in the hallways and in the rooms. And I'm not saying they're watching you inside your room at all times that i can prove but i do know that when that we they did have this a research rough idea of what's happening in every room at any given time yeah yeah so uh campos who was the security guard he gets up to the 32nd floor and he tries opening this stairwell door the access door that's closest to the door alarm and he finds out that he can't open it so he ends up going going around, going around about way, getting up there. And, mm -hmm. and it, it turns out there was like an L-shaped bracket that was screwed to the door to keep it closed. And now it wasn't a big L-shaped bracket. It was just a little, no. just a little I've guy. pictures of it. It, it was yeah. nothing, nothing it's big. Like but two screws and a little L-shaped bracket and he's golden. Yeah. For whatever reason, the security guard didn't want to like just put a little uh, shoulder, a little elbow grease into it and get this door open because it wouldn't have been hard. It wasn't like it no. was. Anyway. So he reports to dispatch that uh, he heard what he thought was rapid drilling from room 135, which was the big suite that the had suite, it had. Yeah. 
So, and I don't, I mean, rapid drilling, I would, I would guess that he's talking about like a, you know, like a DeWalt or something like that. I'm not I sure. Guess. I don't um, know the difference he's... between drilling and rapid drilling, I guess. So it's just semant semantics at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's I'm not it. sure. Either. Okay. Um, so then at 10.05, he, he is in the hallway and he gets hit in his right thigh by one of about 35 bullets that come out of this suite. So he's struck through the door, basically. Um, so the, whoever's in the room at that time, right. whether that be Paddock or whomever, whomever. Is, is now shooting through the door down right. the hallway at Campos. Right. Okay. So another thing was there, they, he sees a cart outside of paddock's room with like a like a food service cart you know if you get room service or whatever they bring it mm -hmm. up and then when you're done you just put your dirty dishes on it and they wheel it away so there's a room service cart out there that had a little camera on it and it turns out the camera wasn't on record it was just there for like surveillance so the theory is that paddock could see campos coming towards mm -hmm. the room so he fires these 35 rounds through the shot or through the door and one of them hits Pat or hits uh, Campos in the leg. Okay. So that was a rat. That was at 10:05. So he immediately took cover. He calls hotel security by. This seemed weird, but he calls hotel security by cell phone and on the radio to tell them he'd been shot with a BB or a pellet gun. Now, BB or a pellet gun. Right. And why would you call on the radio and your cell phone? I mean, they have those radios right there for ease, right? Because if something's Typically. going down, you want to be able to like, whoop, right there. Mm -hmm. But he pulls his cell phone out of his pocket or his holster or wherever it was and calls the hotel security plus lets them know on the radio that he thinks he's been shot by a pellet gun or a BB gun. Yeah. Seems weird. I mean, in his defense, maybe his radio was malfunctioning or nobody was answering yeah. him on the radio. So then he called because he was seriously injured. Who knows? But it is weird that he would do both. You would, I don't know. And being, how do you being mistake... a guy that's used radios for a long yeah. time? I know sometimes they just don't work. And so a cell phone Especially backup in a big might room. be. Yeah. Yeah. What you tell me, I've never obviously been shot <laughs> and neither have you, but mm -hmm. um, what's the difference between getting shot with a BB or a pellet gun versus an actual weapon? There's a big difference, right? Well, yeah, but if if you haven't been shot before, the it would be weird that you would say, you know, something just sprayed through the room 35 times and thinking that it was a, a BB gun. But if you look down at a hole in your leg with your pants on and everything, the holes yeah. are usually pretty small, you know, on if, the front. Yeah. And I don't know if, if that was a if that was a um, five, five, six, you know, coming out of one of those weapons. That's yeah, like I don't a think it specifies. That's a varmint round. I mean, it really, we shoot humans with it in the military, but that's, you know, that's considered a, a small round. And so mm -hmm. going through a human leg, it really would be a pretty tiny hole. So he mm -hmm. might have thought, you know, this tiny little hole could have been a BB, could have been whatever. But I don't know. It, it's mm. hard to say that I would have called it a BB gun or whatever, unless it came through the door one at a time. But if it came through the That's door in, in quick succession and it was quiet, now this is the reason that the BB 
or, or everything makes more sense. Because if it came through the door quietly, not sounding like a gun, but sounding like a suppressed gun or a mm. silencer, then it would sound more like a BB gun or something like mm-hmm. that. So mm-hmm. if somebody was shooting a silenced weapon through the door, it would be not only muffled by the suppressor, but it would be muffled by the door. By the time it got to him, he wouldn't have heard a very loud sound. He would have heard a weird sound that doesn't sound like a gunshot typically. So those are all reasons why he might have thought it was a BB gun or something like that. The hole mm-hmm. being really small and, you know, who knows? Could have been suppressed fire yeah. by some CIA agent on the other side yeah. of the Yeah. Oh, what? Now you're getting Ooh, crazy. Now, now you're getting just, crazy. Hold on. We're rolling downhill now. <laughs> so the next series of events is a maintenance worker named Stephen Chuck entered the floor to fix the barricaded door. So obviously because Campos had called it in and said, hey, there's an issue with this door. So mm-hmm. this maintenance worker gets there and uh, Campos obviously immediately tells him to call hotel dispatchers on his radio and inform them that the shooting, that there was a shooting and told them to call the police. Hmm. Was there, I don't remember in the story, but do you remember hearing anything about radio jammers or anything like that? Use cell phone jammers or radio Mm-mm. frequency jam- jammers. Not I can't I remember that being used either, but that would account no, because for. That would cause a lot of havoc. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if he, they could, but how, I don't know. The whole thing just sounds weird when you really think of how, but then people don't know, you don't know how you're going to react in a, in a traumatic event like this, really. Sure. Like, yeah, I don't really know who am I to say, but, uh, another weird thing was in the room that he, and I don't know anything about this. You probably do. Um, it was a special hammer that he had that he broke the window with. It was like some kind of a weird, like, I don't know, would it be like a pickaxe or would it be like a bigger mallet type? Yeah, I don't know how he broke the window. There's a lot of con- like how controversy gain- yeah. on the window being broken and when it was broken because, right? And, and we'll get into that probably later, but the breaking those windows, a lot of like we talked about with 9 11, these aren't just regular windows, mm-hmm. you know, these aren't like the windows at your house. These are, these are heavily fortified windows that it would take quite a bit of force to break through. And you would have to probably have some sort of a special tool to be able to do that or to get through or, it. What or, can you just use one of 24 assault rifles that you have up there? Yeah. Why would you use a hammer yeah. if you were already going to be shooting out these windows, right? Uh-huh. And that's what a lot of people thought at the beginning was, is he just shot these windows out and then just uh-huh. started shooting. Well, that wasn't the case. He didn't shoot them out. There was a hammer that was used, supposedly, Weird. in the pictures and everything like that to get through these windows. So it was approximately 490 yards from his window to the concert venue. Mm-hmm. So he started with a few shots, then started firing in bursts that ranged from 80 to 100 rounds. So yep. 80 to 100 rounds at a time. And then there would be a break. Yeah. And some people think that because of the break in time, that would be him reloading um, because he was using the bump stock and everything like that and shooting from those windows down. 
um, to the the venue area there, the stage area there. You would have had to have some kind of long range rifle to do that. Mm-hmm. But the thing that is going to be a big deal, um, you know, coming up along the way is really how this caliber of weapon works. Uh, also, the distance that it can cover and mm-hmm. and the line of sight stuff like that. But the more important thing is the sound, the sound that these weapons make. So these weapons, you know, there's a 308 and there's, I think you said, a, a AR-15, AR-10s. Mm-hmm. There's So there's several different weapons in there. The, the bigger one, the 308s probably sound a little heavier. They probably have a little bit more of a, a whack to them. Um, but the they sound pretty similar in how they fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we get further into this, we're going to hear that people were reporting lots of different uh, sounds right. coming from lots of different directions. So we just wanted to show you this picture of where he was shooting from mm-hmm. and where the venue is. And just to show you that there is this direct line of sight here. But if you see where Jason Aldean would have been standing on this stage, it would be kind of a hard shot to hit anybody yeah. on the stage. It is That's kind true. of a, a weird angle. Um, but it would be open season on anybody that was inside this venue if if you could hit them from there. But mm-hmm. anyway, I don't mean to get gruesome. We're just looking at logistics here. Logistically, right. it would be it would be hard to hit the stage as well as um, some other places farther out, because these are, this is a pretty long shot mm-hmm. for somebody that's, you know, up in a window on a bipod, he would have to have pretty significant skills to be hitting people um, from this, especially, you know, going full auto, there would be a mm-hmm. lot of really lucky shots in my opinion from this distance with those weapons Uh, i know a couple of them had scopes on them and he probably Mm -hmm. could have dialed in some scope shots and stuff like that but you'd have to be a pretty good shooter to shoot on full full auto like you are bump stock like he was and actually hit people from these distances so that's the reason i bring up this picture so that people can see that we're we're not saying that these are um impossible shots we're saying that these are very these are very suspect shots yeah. giving the angle and the distance. So, yeah. So the, the concert goers originally when, when he very first started firing thought that it was like fireworks because, mm-hmm. and this is where a lot of weirdness comes in, which I mean, we can go over it now or we can wait, but the, there was a lot of chaos happening. There was, there was people walking around this concert with firecrackers, which is weird. <laughs> yeah, random um, people. Yeah, they're like, why would I don't know? It just it just seems like there was so much chaos going on. Because another thing that they don't talk about in this narrative is all the other shootings that were happening all along the strip. It wasn't just at the Mandalay Bay um, concert venue area. Mm-hmm. There was there was shooting going on from all over the place. Not yeah. to mention later on, we'll probably go over it more, but but when they were assessing gunshot wounds at this hospital, they were seeing a lot of them were smaller caliber and they were coming straight in. There wasn't, because yeah. this would be a big angle, like the, the trajectory of this bullet would, would cause a pretty significant angle if it was coming from that high, for, you know, 480 sure. yards at on the 23rd floor that would cause... Sure. You, you could tell a difference, especially with these big rounds. 
and the people that were coming in had these little, almost like a 22, like a, like a small. Yeah. A, a small well, if anybody's ever wound. seen like Dexter or NCIS or any of these, like these shows where they go in and they look at the angle of the bullet mm-hmm. trajectory and all that stuff that they do on TV with lasers and all this different stuff. You find that bullets really do tell a story after mm-hmm. they're fired and there's yeah. nothing you can really do about it. You have to, you have to just let the chips fall where they lay. You know, if mm-hmm. you're going to shoot somebody straight down almost like that, you're going to have these really high trajectory coming in from high in the shoulders, high in the head, you know, these high right. up shots. Or if people are laying down, you might have some more direct hits in the back and the legs, those type of things. But we're but talking about. they're still going to have an angle. They're not going to be a straight, a straight right. on, like from ground level shot and they were finding a lot lot of of these yeah Yeah. a lot of these wounds look like people have been shot pretty close yeah yeah and pretty and people saw guns i mean it's really hard to find same with the 9-11 stuff it's Mm -hmm. really hard to find any of this information because everything has been so scrubbed i mean even stuff that was online a year ago is not available now so it, it's really difficult to to kind of dig in beyond the official narrative you can yeah. find it and we will put some stuff in the in the show notes and on our website so that you can you know kind of go down this this trail yeah. also hopefully alternative have, theory trail yeah hopefully you guys have learned by now that we we're not finding the stuff that we're looking for in the normal places mm-hmm. that you would normally look for things like we're not googling this stuff you know we're looking at different um browsers like brave uh-huh. browser or DuckDuckGo, or we're going on to these um these different alternative spaces like rumble and stuff like that where people are willing to tell the truth they're willing yep. to put this stuff on the internet whether it gets taken down or not they just keep setting up new account after new account after new account and just putting it up because we believe that those, this information needs to get out there and there's mm-hmm. a lot of people on the internet that have this information the same with i mean if you guys aren't on the the fringy telegram you should really get on that chat because mm-hmm. During our 9-11 series, I was dropping bombs on there. I mean, so much information. can't say dropping bombs. I mean, Ah, there's so many. Bad pun. I know. Sorry about that. (laughs) There's so many videos and pictures and things Mm -hmm. um, that we post on there and on Instagram that are just showing you that the things that we're saying are are true. They are real anomalies. They are real issues. And they Mm -hmm. are like the videos with 9-11. They they exist. There are videos that exist that I've posted that have no planes in them whatsoever. Zero. And people saw it on the ground. But talking about this event, there are lots of people that have, you know, talked, they've called 911 and there are recordings that have been subpoenaed and they had to sue. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but this is kind of just setting up our next episode because we're going to start getting into a lot of that stuff Mm -hmm. on the next episode. But after we've laid the ground for the official narrative, then we'll start to go into what are the things that the people that were there were saying? Because we know that when the internet tells us something or when the, or when the mainstream media tells us something, we have to be leery about what we Mm -hmm. believe. You know, our parents used to told us, tell us, don't believe everything you read. And 
you know, we've kind of lost that because these news reporters and these journalists, they over time kind of developed themselves as the authority, right? You have these authorities over you that they know and you don't, right? Well, that's different now. We don't live that way anymore. We're kind of abandoning as a culture, this, this media type of a empire. And, and we're going out and we're finding the information ourselves as citizen well, and journalists. We're, we're tired of people telling us t- that we shouldn't believe the things that we're seeing. Yeah. It's like, no, I saw it with my own eyes. Like, you can't talk me out of what I saw. So there's a lot of people that were working at other casinos. There was, I mean, tons of people that, that were like, there was a shooting in this casino. I saw it with my own eyes. Like, yeah, and it it's, was like two hours crazy. after the main event. Yeah, it was like pretty much that whole evening. There was like mm-hmm. weirdness after weirdness after weirdness, which I'm sure is just Vegas on any given night. But <laughs> but not the not, gunshots. Not to this degree, without the gunshots, yeah. <laughs> yes, there were half-naked people. Yes, there was debauchery. Yes. But we're talking about shootings on the Vegas Strip coming from every different direction. Just to cause mass chaos and co- yeah. and confusion. And that's we, what I think. Yeah. And then you have to ask yourself why. And that's what, what we're going to get into on the next episode when we start unraveling all of these anomalies, all of these There's issues. There's so much more. Yeah. We got to get into how many people were staying in his room. That's, mm-hmm. that's interesting. We got to get into all of the stuff that they were ordering and room service that's pretty telling so there's well and there's a little a known more. fact that i had no idea until i started really digging into this mm-hmm. paddock actually shot from his room he shot eight bullets into the airport which was next door mm-hmm. into the fuel tank there's a jet yeah. fuel tank speaking of jet fuel i know we made a big deal of that on 9-11 but weird <laughs> here's jet fuel again that uh, by the way, didn't explode. He shoots yeah. eight rounds into the this um, jet fuel tanker that's at the airport, and so immediately all gra- all flights are grounded at that point. But mm. one of the two of the bullets hit the tanker. One of them actually penetrated all the way through into the jet fuel, and nothing happened. But why? Why was he shooting yeah. at a jet fuel tanker at the airport? Hmm. That doesn't make any sense. And why did we not hear about that at all? I heard nothing about that. Yep. Not a single thing. It didn't even, I mean, when we flew into Vegas, we didn't fly into this airport. We flew into a different one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because this is McCarran Airport that's right next door. So that's where he, it was 2,000 feet away also. Yeah. So the concert venue is 400 and something feet down. And, And like you were saying, can't really it's really hard to you know dial in a target if you're if you're not really experienced and if especially if you're shooting round 80 to 100 rounds like bump stuck boom 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 yeah get out of here. how do you how do you shoot 2000 feet and yeah. and actually hit the tanker and i mean why? actually and why yeah like, somebody had some was... skill to shoot yeah. 2000 feet and actually hit that thing and it didn't explode or or do what it was seemingly intended to do, but it did cause some confusion and it did yeah. cause some real serious uproar. But what would have what would have a, a real big explosion would have caused, you know, in that area, people would have been really freaking out at that point. Right. So 
It just right. seems there, and there, like there's way more that we'll get into next time about the whole flight situation that was going on could th- mm-hmm. that we never heard about. There was there was people calling in from a helicopter company and and Mm -hmm. saying basically we've been taken over and they're taking our helicopters like and somebody was shot there what happened to all the helicopters why were they turning off their transponders right so much more to talk about so much more and we hope you guys come back for the next episode that is going to be dropping next week but for now we're going to get out of here. This is Rick and Christian from That's So Fringy Podcast. Yes. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. All of this information is good information. We need to be thinking for ourselves. Mm-hmm. We need to be digging in, uh, working together uh, as as one family, trying to root out the evil of this world and put an end to it, as Jesus would ask us to do. And so, well, and, we and want to remind that. you, we say like, subscribe, share, and all of that stuff, but you can get a lot of information about events that are current events that are happening by going back and listening to podcasts from that mm-hmm. time. So mm-hmm. if you go back and listen to the podcasts that, you know, there's, there's podcasts out there of just daily news. I'm just, they're just get on there and they read the newspaper of what's going on today in the world. Yeah. So you can get on there from October 2nd of 2017, find just a, a news thing. And if they talk about the Vegas shooting, there's a good chance that there's some information in there that is now scrubbed. So if we can get this information out there via podcast, because we're not as, we don't have as much restriction as some of these other platforms do. This is a good way to share this stuff. If for no other reason than the information is, is out there. Yeah. In podcast form. And hats off to Spotify for not giving us any hassles. I mean, we've had a couple of things, but mm-hmm. nothing major. And uh, so hats off to Spotify and the Spotify Spotify leadership for letting us have a voice. We really appreciate that. And you'll probably never hear that, but thank you anyway. <laughs> that being said, we're going to get out of here. We hope that you stay tuned for the next episode. This is Rick and Kristen, and we are out of here. Out of here. Bye. Bye.